Today, we come to the very last words of Jesus found in the Gospel of Matthew. It's Matthew 28. Uh, It starts on Easter morning and ends with the last words of Jesus uh, in the first Gospel in the New Testament. Let's share in God's good word together. Meanwhile, the eleven disciples were on their way to Galilee, headed for the mountain Jesus had set for their reunion. The moment they saw him, they worshipped him. Some, though, held back not sure about worship, about risking themselves totally. Jesus, undeterred, went right ahead and gave his charge. God authorized and commanded me to commission you. Go out and train everyone you meet far and near in this way of life, marking them by baptism in the threefold name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then instruct them in the practice of all I have commanded you. I will be with you as you do this. Day after day after day, right up to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Today, we are talking about the decisive event in human history. No pressure. The decisive event for human history. We're not talking about just another teaching, not just another parable. We're talking about Jesus first revealed as the ruler of every time, every nation, every planet, every universe, even the Spider-Verse. There's no place that you can go that Christ has not already been. In Matthew 28, we find Jesus claiming the very throne of God as fully And ultimately, Lord of all, God of all, not secondary to the Father, but fully God as Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one, Jesus on the throne. Now, this may sound a little different to you because in the Protestant tradition, we don't have these big, huge, beautiful cathedrals um, with Jesus looking down on his people with the crown on his head and a scepter in his hand and sitting on a throne. If you go to Europe, you'll see that. The first thousand years of Christian history is largely Jesus ruling the world. No longer Caesar and Rome from England to the Middle East. Uh, No longer one nation, one country, this or that place. No, it is Jesus, the risen Lord, God of all, ruler of all, heaven and earth. And in some ways, um, largely by the way we choose to worship um, or the simplicity of it, we can lose the majesty and the power of Christ, the ruler of all. If you have your sermon notes, I invite you to take those out. My name is Mark Foster. I'm the founding pastor here. And it is my great pleasure to be with you on what I think is one of the best weeks of the year. Bible school week. So good. So good for those of you who wore your little Bible school t-shirts, way to go. That's awesome. We're going to you know, have a great week together. So if you have those, uh, I want to remind you of this. The Great Commandment and the Great Commission make a great church. Will you say that with me? The Great Commandment and the Great Commission make a great church. Well, what is the Great Commandment? First, we are to love God with all that we are. That's the first and greatest commandment. When someone asked Jesus what is uh, the greatest commandment, he said this. You shall love the Lord your God with, say it with me, all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. That's it. If you want to know the first thing that we do as Christians, this is it. This was also true for Judaism um, before us. And then Jesus says a second is like it, that we are to love our neighbor. Right? And so read this with me. You shall love your neighbor 
as yourself. So that, that tells us a few things. One, it's important that you love yourself. It's important that you love your neighbor. And then Jesus tells an entire story about, well, who's my neighbor? Well, your neighbor uh, is everyone else on the planet because we're all one family in the family of God. One day we will all sit at the table. Uh, the question is, uh, you know, for you is, uh, do you want to be there? Are you willing to come on and sit by whoever else is at the Lord's table? It's a really important question. And it takes some practice, by the way. Right? You have to learn how to love people and to, and to bless them and to sit beside them and eat with them. Uh, because everybody who wants to follow Jesus gets to follow Jesus and be at the table. And, and for us, we have to decide whether we want to be at that table as well. And so Jesus says, all are welcome at my table. All are welcome to follow me. All are welcome in my kingdom. And that's what's known as the Great Commission. Now, before we really understand the Great Commission, we need to understand where it falls. It falls in what some would say is the most important book in the New Testament because when they put the Bible together, they didn't put it um, in chronological order. They put it in order of importance. And so the Church of the Council of Nicaea in 325 thought Matthew was the most important, so they put it first. It wasn't the first written. Mark was the first written, which I love because my name is Mark, but that's just me. So I think Mark should be first, but it's not. The church thought that Matthew needed to have the first priority at that time, and so it does. And it only has 28 chapters. Uh, You can read it quickly through the afternoon if you want. Um, And here's the thing. The last chapter, chapter 28, which we come to today, starts with Easter morning. And that shapes everything else that happens in the chapter. So we have to remember that what we're about to read and look at and study and and ask God to come into our lives with is, is all based in the resurrection. If it weren't for the resurrection, this wouldn't make any sense at all. So you have to start with the resurrection. So the scripture says this. After the Sabbath on the first day of the week, which was Sabbath was Saturday, first day of the week was Sunday, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And suddenly there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descending from heaven came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. For fear of him, the guards shook and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. What's the first thing that the angel says? Oh, that you said it, but you didn't feel like you meant it. I mean, really, you don't have to be afraid. God says you don't have to be afraid, friends. Christ is with us. He says, I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He's been raised, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. He has been raised from the dead. And indeed, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. This is my message for you. Then what happens next is that Jesus has two encounters, one with the women and then one with the men. And and I want you to see how this differs. First of all, if you're a woman and you're part of our congregation, I want you to know um, that you are the first people to see the empty tomb. The very core of our faith is rested to you, not to men. The men were nowhere around. They, they, they left at the arrest of Jesus, except for John. Uh, they all scattered. But the women, they were there. They were there at the cross, and they were the ones who went to the tomb um, to basically prepare Jesus uh, for a proper burial. And it's to these women who the good news of the risen Lord, they're the first ones to know. They're the first witnesses. They're the first messengers. And so if there's ever anybody that says, hey, you know, you shouldn't be talking about Jesus, you're like, hey, Jesus told us first. And then we told the guys. Now, some scholars will disagree about this, but this might be the first time in history um, that men actually followed what a woman said on first reference. For those of you who are married, that's funny. All right. 
So the women show up, there's an empty tomb, an angel is there, and he gives them a job to do. And what is that? That they are to go and tell the disciples that Jesus has been raised from the dead. And they do just that. And it's changed the world ever since. So suddenly Jesus meets the women and he says, greetings. And they came to, oh, this, the men, he said, greetings. They came to him, took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus says, do not be afraid, but go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. So the women, uh, when they see the risen Lord, right? They take hold of his feet. Now, don't you find that a little odd? Have you ever, like someone said, good morning, and you said, can I touch your feet? I mean, that's a, that's a, that would just be weird. So what's happening? I mean, there's, there's got to be something else going on here that we don't understand. When people are in the presence of Almighty God, what they do is they fall down. Because they are in the presence of the most powerful being in the universe. And as that form of worship, they lay down, face first to the ground, and they touch his feet. Because he's all-powerful, he's almighty. He simply cannot stand in his presence. And you'll see this uh, throughout the Bible. And the, what is the first thing that Jesus says to them? Do not be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. Yes, I, I am almighty God. I am raised from the dead. I am God himself. But you don't have to be afraid of me. I love you. I've done everything I can for you. Get up. And go. Go tell my brothers. Tell my brothers to go to Galilee. They, there they will see me. And on their way, they meet Jesus. These women do. And he says, don't be afraid. Go and tell. That's how it goes with the women. Now, with the men, it's really hard to set up this scene properly. In Matthew 28, there's a lot of things you just kind of have to fill in. Because the last time that the disciples saw Jesus, all of them except John, was at the Last Supper. Jesus had thrown this amazing banquet to remind them of, of God's love for them and freedom and salvation through the sea where God saved the Jews over and against the Egyptians and they, they celebrated that annual festival of the Passover. That was there. They had all said, no, 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 I'm too good to wash feet. And then they got really uncomfortable when Jesus started washing their feet. And then he says, my, my betrayer uh, is here. He's going to put his hand in the sup with me and Judas gets up and runs out. And then, and then the, you know, so the, the meal's kind of a mess at that point. They're backbiting and whispering, and people haven't done what they're supposed to do. Jesus says, hey, come pray with me. I'm, I'm really agitated in my spirit. I'm, I'm going to die tomorrow, basically. He knows this. He takes uh, a few of them out to the garden. He says, please stay awake and pray with me. They don't stay awake. The guards come, and they arrest him. And they take him, and they beat him, and they crucify him, and the disciples are nowhere around. And there's no record in Matthew about what's going on with the disciples. All we know is that the women post-resurrection have gone and said, hey, Jesus did exactly what he said he was going to do. He's raised and he wants you to meet him at the mountain. And they do. Have any of you all ever gone to see someone where the last meeting you had with them did not go well? Do you know that pit in your stomach that you have? Like, oh man, last Thanksgiving was a mess. I can't imagine this is going to be much better, but get in the car, kids. We're going to try it anyway. Do it for Grandma. And, and, and you have these moments, right, at, at work or in your family, and it just hasn't gone well. And you know you haven't done the right thing. Either you're not prepared or, you know, the last time, you know, it didn't go well, and you're still not ready, and, but you go. And this is what's going on with the disciples. None of them have seen him other than John since the Last Supper and John at the cross. 
So the, this is the very first scene the disciples appear since they fled at Jesus' arrest. And they show up. And they responded to the women's instructions. And they do. They go and they meet Jesus. The scripture says it like this. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. What had happened to the women happened to them. This uh, word worship in the Greek is literally prostrated themselves in worship. Face down, on the ground, fall down before the Lord, and, and reach out to his feet. That's what they did. Now you'll notice that they had not done this before the crucifixion. You won't read anywhere in Matthew where the disciples, uh, when he says, come, follow me. That's not what they did. They followed him. They worked with him. They fed people. They fished. They did all sorts of normal things. But there's something different about the story here that the resurrected Jesus is no longer sort of shrouded in mystery of, is he God, is he not God? He is fully God, ruler of everything. And so they worshiped. But they also doubted. Have you ever had somebody be really nice and loving and accepting to you that you've totally done wrong? And they're like, hey, welcome. Come in my home. And you're like, I think they're going to kill me. Like, I'm not, I don't know. You're like way too nice. But here's the thing. It's not about us. It's about God's character. Amen? His character is love. His character is grace. His character is forgiveness. And so these disciples are out of their mind with worry. They're like, could this be? Is he really alive? Does he really want to see us? I can't imagine that, but okay. And they fall down before him, the ruler of all. And here's the great news, friends. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter if you've denied him. It doesn't matter if you've betrayed him. Those are not good things. I'm not justifying that. What I'm saying is, even beyond all of that, the Great Commission is entrusted not to perfect believers. It would have gone nowhere. It's entrusted to those of us who show up, as we are, to follow Jesus in our fears and our doubts. We, like the disciples before, we're not perfect people. We're not going to do it perfectly. Jesus knows that at the forefront. All he asks us to do is to meet him, to follow him, to do what we can do. And he'll do the rest because he's already gone before us. He holds all power and authority in heaven and on earth. And so he's just asking us to show up and then invite other people into the great party that lasts forever and ever and ever and ever, that includes everyone. So the Great Commission is this, friends. I love this paraphrase. It goes like this. I have been given say over everything in heaven and on earth. This is Jesus talking here to the disciples. So as you go, make apprentices, make students, make learners of me among people of every kind. Submerge them in the reality of the Trinitarian God and lead them into doing everything I have told you to do. Now, this is important folks, that we understand that when we read the Gospels, we have to read all of the Gospels. When we look at Jesus' teaching, we have to look at all of Jesus' teaching, and we have to take it as a whole. Jesus nowhere says, oh, there's a couple of verses that some of you are going to find pretty easy to do. Just hang out there and judge everybody else who can't do it. Because what I find in the church is that one kind of Christian follows these rules pretty well and does pretty terrible at those, and there are other kinds of Christians that do these kind of rules pretty well and pretty terrible at those. Isn't that true? And the church has been fighting about that for 2,000 years, and it does us no good. It's divisive. Jesus talks about that, uh, about how terrible it is. Paul talks at length about that in every church that he started. He says, don't fall for that. You got to do all of it, all of it. He says, now look, I'm with you every minute. Don't worry. I'm with you every minute until the job is completely done. 
So Jesus does three things, and I want you to see these really clearly. The first thing that he does is that he assures them of his power. Because everything that comes after that won't make a lick of difference if you don't understand that Jesus has all power. All power. Because he's God himself, ruler of heaven and earth. And so because Jesus has all power, he's going to then commission us to do three things. We'll get to that in a minute. So Jesus comes and says to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. How much authority does Jesus have? And what is not included in all? Nothing. So that thing that you've been worrying about, maybe that you've been pleading with Jesus about, you don't have to worry about it because he has how much authority? All. All authority. All of it. All of it. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. So the risen Jesus is no longer in the major. He's not a helpless baby. He's not even on the cross, a perfect human that has lived his life perfectly before God. But he's on the throne, friends, the cosmic ruler of the universe. And, by the way, if we find little Martians on Mars in a few years, he's going to be Lord of them too. Right? Whatever we find, Jesus is Lord of, of heaven and earth. There's nothing greater, nothing beyond his reach or grasp. And, and Jesus says as much in his teaching early on. In Matthew 11, he says this, All things have been handed over to me by my Father. How many things? Now, again, I, I want to challenge us to really think through this critically. The Scripture is very, very clear, and I think purposeful, about letting us know that Jesus is ruler of everything, of all of it. Now, I will admit that when you accept that Jesus is ruler of all things, there are a whole lot of philosophical and intellectual problems that come with that when you look at the evil that's still in the world, the theodicy, the problem of evil in the world, that, that bad things still happen to good people. Now, that's going to be a different sermon at a different time. But, but here's the thing. Jesus and God want followers, not robots. They want children. God created us as children, not as, not as people without free will. So the, the reason that we have problems in the world is by our own choice. It's not because God's trying to punish us. God loves you, and he's ruler of all. And I'm happy to talk to you about that in length at a different time. But here's the thing. We need to understand, as the church did, that Jesus is greater than Caesar. Great, Jesus is greater than Rome. The church is greater than the entire Roman Empire that ruled up until, uh, really, I mean, the, the church until about 1054. The Roman Empire was a huge deal up until the time Constantine bowed the knee to Christ in 325. So here's the thing. The early church knew in ways that I think we may have forgotten that this is the Christ that we worship, the ruler of all, the king of kings and lord of lords. There's nothing outside his purview. This is a photo that I took in the Hagia Sophia in Istanbul. Uh, it was, is a beautiful ancient cathedral. Today it's really used as a museum uh, because it's, it's been through many different iterations of who was in control of Istanbul at the time. It used to be Constantinople under Constantine when it was under Christian rule, then it switched. Now, this is known as the Pantocrator. Pan in Greek is all, and uh, the rest of it meaning mighty or powerful, or strength. It's a compound word, right? And so this is ruler of all. This is who folks worshiped um, pretty much exclusively for the first thousand years. If you go throughout Europe, this is what you're going to see, this sort of a view. He's the sustainer of the world. When we say he's the breath in our lungs, that's what we mean. Even our very breath comes from Jesus, the ruler of all things. So 
Because that's true, Jesus does a second thing. And the second thing that Jesus does is he gives the disciples then, and you and me, a commission. And it has three parts to it. The first is to go. Say go. Second is to baptize. Say baptize. And the third is to teach. Say teach. So because Jesus has all power and authority, he says you can, and I expect you to, go, baptize, and teach. That's what he asks us to do. That's the role of the church. So he says, go, therefore, and make disciples, learners, apprentices, students of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So first you go and you make disciples, these apprentices, these students, and it's open to all people. It's not closed to anyone. Anybody who wants to follow Jesus can. So this is Jesus' will. This is God's will, that the church be a universal, inclusive community of all nations, which makes it very different than other religions that are really tied in a nation or a country or a time or an emperor or a different ruler. The church of Jesus Christ, as I understand it, is completely open to every person on the planet today and forever. The question is, will we respond? And this is a beautiful thing, friends. A number of years ago, there were some sociologists and some videographers and photographers that decided they wanted to see people's reaction across nations, across time, if they knew that somebody thought they were beautiful. And so they went and they asked people's permission. They said, I'd like to take a photo of you. And they said, well, okay, well, well, why? Can I take your photo? And they said, well, I'm taking photos of things that I think are beautiful. And this was their response. We are doing a small university project where we have to take a picture of something that we find beautiful. Okay. <laughs> and obviously we find you beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> Things that we find beautiful. Yeah. Uh, you think? Yeah. Picture of something that we find beautiful. Okay. Pictures? Of things that we find beautiful. Yeah. Of things that we find beautiful. Oh. <laughs> we are taking pictures of things that we find beautiful. Okay. Pictures of things that we find beautiful. Aww. You are beautiful. Huh? Thank you. Something that we find beautiful. Yes. Okay. okay. <laughs> things that we find beautiful. Guido, Marianne, Moad, Charles, Matt, Natasha, Tim, Isabel, Benito, Raquel, Reza, Vitor, Yonchin, Jason, Noemi, Mo, people from Belgium and the United Kingdom, Mexico, Tibet, China, Spain, Poland, the Philippines, Syria, Ecuador, 
South Korea, Canada, Netherlands, all included, all beautiful, all in the love of God. And he looks at you and you and you. And he says, beautiful, fearfully and wonderfully made. I knew you before I placed you in your mother's womb. You're beautiful. And you're mine. And you're welcome in my kingdom. Now, friends, if this sounds different than the rhetoric you've heard on the news this week, it is. It's different. And it's powerful. And it is the only thing that will save our world. It's the only thing that will save the world is this kind of love that's open to every tribe, every nation, every person, everyone you will ever see eyes, lock eyes with. That's the good news. It's good news. There's no one excluded. You are included. But not just you. The world is included, and we get to be a part. And the way we know that we're a part is through baptism. Baptism in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. Now, this in the name of is very important. Very, very important. In the name of means in the possession and protection of. Possession and protection of. So as you go in the name of Jesus, you go as someone who belongs to Jesus. I've had the great privilege on behalf of the church to travel internationally to Nigeria, to Turkey, to Israel, And as I go, I go in the name and protection of the United States of America, which I am very, very grateful for. And it's important because I can do things as a United States citizen that I cannot do if I am not. Same thing's true for you. But here's something greater. My first citizenship is in the kingdom of heaven. That includes the entire globe and every nation and every people. And I go in the name and the possession and the protection of Jesus Christ, the ruler of all. Of all, of all places and all times. Now, this is not a new concept for people of faith. Thousands of years earlier, the psalmist would say it like this. Our help, you're in my help, and all the folks that went before us, both Christians and Jews before, is in the name of the Lord, in the possession and protection of the Lord, wherever we go, who made heaven and earth. So baptism is the act, making a transition from outside the Christian community to discipleship within it. So that when we baptize someone, it is the beginning of the journey, not the end. It is the start of the kindergarten life with Jesus, where we learn and we learn and we grow and we try new things and we grow in the kingdom as an apprentice of Jesus. And Jesus says this, not only do you baptize, but you teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. All of it. All of it. That's what he says. And then finally, Jesus says this. One, I'm all-powerful. Two, because I'm all-powerful, you can go, baptize, and teach. And thirdly, you can go because I'm with you. My unending presence is with you. You don't have to worry about this. I am with you. There's no place you can go that I've not been before. I love the prayer of St. Patrick. And I'm, I'm trying to show you that across hundreds of years, not just, a, not just this time or that time or this ruler or that ruler, but across time, across nations, across the world, across thousands of years, this has held. This has held. And about 1,500 years later, we come across this prayer by St. Patrick, um, who had been a slave in Ireland and then went back to Ireland to bless and to convert the very people who had enslaved him. And this is his prayer. I invite you to pray it with me. 
Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left. Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I arise, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me. Now that's a prayer. There's no place that you can go that Christ hasn't already gone before you. He's beside you. He's behind you. He lifts you up from beneath and he oversees you from above. We go. In his good and glorious name. And Jesus says this. Remember, never forget, never forget, never forget that I'm with you until it's completely done to the end of the age. So, friends, we are sent with the greatest task in the world. And it is a glorious task because we go with the greatest presence in the world. So we don't have to be afraid. So you may say, well, wow, hold on. That's a pretty big action step. Absolutely. And the world depends on it. So as you go, wherever you go. Home, the store, lunch, or across the world. As you go, share your love of our lovable, radiant, happy, friendly, accessible, and totally competent God who loves all people, including us. Now, you'll notice that this looks a little different than some of the descriptions you've heard of God. Right? Because we can't expect an unbelieving world to want to be a part of a God who's mean and judging and harsh and cuts people out and cuts them off. That's not who we have. The God who loves us loves all people. We have a God who's lovable, who first loved us, who is radiant, who's happy, who's friendly, who's accessible. You can talk to him anytime. Just call on his name and he's there for you. And totally competent. The world you live in is completely and beautifully safe for you to live under God's protection and possession. Go with him. And whatever happens, you're with him in this life and the next. Now, I know that these concepts can be pretty big and pretty hard to implement, so I want to invite the Wright family up, uh, at least four of the five. Uh, Logan had other plans today that he couldn't join us. He's in another state. Uh, But I wanted you to see, I want to welcome David and Lisa and Evan and Morgan Wright. Will you welcome them with me? Just a few weeks ago, they have returned from Guatemala where they placed our 24th water well uh, for a community in need there. And I wanted you um, to have a sense. I think you're the first family that went en masse as a, as a total family unit uh, to Guatemala. Um, and I wanted the congregation to, one, know what that looks like, and two, how you decided uh, to basically decide to do that as a family. And then three, uh, your experience of that. All right. Thank you. So the Great Commission has always been and had a special place in my heart, and so I've tried to live that out the best I could um, as over my lifetime. And so one of the most powerful ways that I've been able to do that was getting the chance to go to Guatemala to bring a clean water well, and at the same time to share the good news about uh, the gospel and about Jesus and God, and to um, talk to individuals there about um, everlasting water. And so about six years ago, I had a chance to go with uh, Scott Kood, Greg Kiner, John Hurd, and um, to work with our Guatemalan leader, uh, Jaime Torres. And then three years ago, I had a chance to be able to take um, Evan and Logan and go with my sons. And uh, Pastor Mark was actually on that trip. And to just see the work that they do and to be involved in that. And 
um, made me want to be able to um, continue to come and to be able to bring my wife, Lisa and Morgan. Um, and at some point, uh, was praying about this and trying to figure it out. And um, lo and behold, John Hurd came and said, at some point back, he came and said, we had a, another chance to do this. And I really jumped at that opportunity and um, said, yes, of course, all five of us would go. And uh, uh, what I thought about at the time was Jesus will help us. He'll be with us until the end of the age. Um, so struggling with five schedules and um, four dogs and just trying to organize all this and to um, how would we be able to do it financially. And so it really came down to prioritizing this and to making a concrete decision that this is really what we were going to do, um, give up the 4th of July party and planning and the celebration that we normally would have, give up family vacation and that sort of thing, and really focus on doing this. And so we said yes, and then it was kind of a choice. Obviously, we have adult children of telling them and letting them make that decision. I'll let them share with you how they decided. Right. So for myself, ever since I went two or three years ago, like he was saying, I just really remembered how great of an experience that was and how amazing it was to just see the love of God and the love of Jesus. And it's it's so easy to see that when you're out there serving people and these people are, you know, serving back to you. And it's it's just a really great experience. And it's always something that I've remembered and hoped that I would be able to do it again. So my dad called me and said that, you know, we had the opportunity to go this summer and I think pretty much by the time we hung up the phone, I, I was really hoping that we'd be able to do that. And, but I was also hoping that we'd be able to go as a family because I remembered being 18 and being a freshman in college and that, you know, it was a great time in my life and a, a really transformative time and a great experience. And I knew my sister being 17 and about to be a senior in high school, I, I really thought that would be a great experience and something that she should do. But, um, so I don't know, I kind of tried to talk her into it, I guess, but I don't know if, if it really helped or didn't, so I'll kind of let her speak for herself. Hi. Um, okay, so whenever my dad went six years ago, I was like 10, 11-ish, and I knew that it was something I wanted to do whenever I was older, but I was like, I'm too young now, obviously, so I was like, I'm just going to do what I can at our own house and, you know, in our own town to help out. Um, so I was still on that same, like, I'm doing what I can here, and I was going to go to SOS this summer, which I was really excited about, and I had done last summer, too, and then whenever my dad asked me, hey, do you want to go to Guatemala? We have this opportunity. I was like, what? No. <laughs> I was like, I'm not ready for this. No. I was like, I have plans. <laughs> um, but then, um, my brother talked to me, and I really felt like God spoke through him to me, and so I really sat down and I thought about it. I was like, maybe this is what I need to do. Maybe the time is now. It doesn't have to be necessarily when I thought it would be. I mean, God's watching over me. He has a plan for me. So I said yes. I didn't really know why, but I said yes, and even on the way, whenever we were flying, I was still kind of like, why did I say yes? Why am I going on this trip? <laughs> But, like, whenever I was there, I was just, like, I know that I served them, but I was just overcame or overcome with all of their kindness and, like, love towards us. People that didn't look anything like them, didn't speak their language, they 
were just so like loving and it just really showed me like this is what it means to love your neighbor doesn't mean like your physical neighbor someone that acts like you looks like you thinks like you it's just everybody because everybody was created by God and I know that he sent me there to learn that and then share it with people here and just keep serving him so um when we when Mark asked us if what we would think about this, we prayed about it, and then he told us the the you know sermon uh, verse for today was the Great Commission, and um, so I thought of that, and I um, on Thursday night read the Bible verse, prayed about it. Um, I say that I prayed about it because on Thursday night when I went to bed, what I really did was tell God what I was going to tell you, and then I said amen, and then I went to sleep, and I felt real good about it, uh, until about 3 a.m. when I woke with a start because God wasn't done with me, and God was then communicating back to me and saying, um, your human Lisa story is an okay thing for you to share with everybody, but here's the real story that the more emotional, harder part for me to share, the part where I have to kind of open up my heart and tell you... um, So um, my commission a really long time ago, I felt like God was calling me to be a school counselor. Um, I work with kids at Edmonds Alternative High School. Um, These are kiddos that um, are at risk for not graduating from high school. Uh, They're broken. They're lost. They're struggling. Um, And so we're really small. We only have about 130 kids at any given time. So I get to know my kids really, really well. I'm very close with them. Um, and God and I do that together every day. Some days are great and wonderful, and some days are hard. Um, but that's my commission. And then in doing that, as an always teacher, always mother, I've learned that it feels good to help others. So I try to teach my students and teach my children that it feels good to help others. It's the right thing to do. So I give them opportunities to serve and love others um, I take my students with me to nursing homes and elementary schools to read and deliver meals on wheels, and I've encouraged them to do things throughout the years as they've grown up. So that was the human Lisa part of me that was going to tell you this is why we went, and this is the end of the story, and it's time to sit down. Um, but that wasn't God's whole story, and this other part's a little bit harder for me. So we decided to do that. We made our deposit. We bought the plane tickets, whatever. And that's what we were going to do this summer. Um, I didn't know then that on April 29th, a student that was very, very close to me, he was kind of that bright student that everybody loved. He was always um, sweet to everybody and center of attention and all the kids, the whole school loved him. Um, He was killed tragically uh, through a a gun accident um, on April 29th, and it kind of brought our whole entire school down to a really low part because nobody could really figure out why it happened. Um, and how it happened was tragic and hard. Um, so for the next three weeks until the end of school, I helped students figure out what to wear to a funeral, know what even a funeral was. Uh, they came to me angry and crying and sad, and when bad things happen. Uh, The first person that they turn to, even the teachers and the staff, is the school counselor because I'm supposed to have answers, but I don't really have answers. We all just kind of muddled through it together. It was hard. I was at a low spot, but we made it through. 
and the kids took their finals and finished. School was out. The teachers just had a couple more days. They had to do their final grades and whatever got the teachers taken care of. I finished my work, and on May 31st, I was low. I needed a summer break because I had never been so drained ever in my whole life because of this experience. Um, So the very first morning that I didn't have to set the alarm to be at school at 7.30 in the morning was May 31st, and so I was excited about that. And um, I got a phone call from my very good friend who's an Edmond police officer, who's our school resource officer, and he said, Lisa, I needed to let you know because I don't want you to just see it in the news that another one of my really, really good, close, sweet students was killed overnight. Um, And that was hard. It was so hard because at least the month before, I knew I could work through it with my students and I could check on them and we could work through it together and grieve together. But now I knew all my students were at home for the summer and I couldn't help them through it. And I don't know. It was just really hard. Um, I pretty much curled up into the fetal position and stayed there for probably too long um, until all of a sudden God, he, he's always talking to me. He kind of woke me up with a start and said, Lisa, you're going to Guatemala. And I said, oh, heck no, I'm not. I can't go. I have nothing else to give anybody. I can't. I have no love, no compassion, no nothing. I'm done helping people because it hurts too bad. I've always said it felt good, but no, it hurts. Um, So no, I'm not doing that. And God said, yes, you are. You spent money on a plane ticket, and that would be a waste of money. So, again, the mom in me is like, well, at least I can spend a week with my family, but I have nothing to give. Um, But lo and behold, I went, and I didn't even have to give anything to those people. Those people gave to me so much, so much love, so much compassion. I totally saw God's beautiful love in every one of their faces. And all I did was blow bubbles and paint fingernails and put... Uh, face paint on their faces and read Bible verses, which they couldn't even understand because the translator had to do it for me. Um, But that gave me so much more than I ever, ever could have given. So uh, God used that to renew my spirit to keep loving him and keep serving others. That's it. Thank you all. So I just wanted you to see how it works in real life. God takes our pain and redeems it, blesses others, fills us up. We go. We just have to show up wherever it is. And I don't, I don't know where that is for you. But the Lord, you don't have to have it all figured out. You just have to show up and trust him with the next step because he is above you. He is beneath you. He is beside you. He is before you. And he loves you. And he is ruler of how many things? All things. Amen. That's good news.